You're listening to The Hoof of the Horse, a podcast dedicated to farriery and equine science with Dr. Simon Curtis. Our episode today is sponsored by Hoofcare Essentials Foundation and their partner, Markel Insurance Company. We've just come out of the Australian Farriers Conference during a break. Uh, and I've had the opportunity to catch up with Professor Chris Pollitt. And so we're going to have a chat about both his life and some of his scientific findings. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Simon. So how did you get into horses? Well, I was always interested as a kid uh, and as a schoolboy playing truant from school, mate and I, we used to try to ride a couple of horses that were in somebody's paddock. That was about the first time I can remember. But Simon, I can even remember riding donkeys on Brighton Beach in England as a kid. So that was fun. And then I lived in South Africa for a while and we did similar things there, visiting farms, riding ponies. As a, But I never really grew up with horses. So they were strange to me as a teenager and as a veterinary student. So upon graduation, I certainly worked on the Canterbury Plains of New Zealand, my first postgraduate job, and encountered uh, standard bred horses, thoroughbred horses, and did a little bit of work with them there. But it wasn't until I went to, emigrated to Australia and worked in a race horse practice, genuine horse practice in Perth, that I really started to work with thoroughbreds. Uh, as a racing practice and uh, after that I, I did a round Australia trip uh, a safari type trip with a couple of friends and finished up in central Queensland looking for a job and uh, as a single man then I uh, took on horse sports I took on polo cross and I took on camp drafting so I really learned to ride the hard way and I used to muster cattle off horseback and uh, things like that. Um, so my interest in horses as a, as a pastime just grew and eventually I finished up at the University of Queensland and had done a PhD in a horse related topic and then that enabled me to take on, with very little experience, the job of lecturer in equine medicine. So I had a rapid learning curve there on the theory of horse medicine and had to do research. I started my research uh, on uh, worms in horses, parasites in horses. I thought we would be able to produce a blood test that you could do stable side to tell whether horses had a big dose of the nasty bloodworms, you know, the, the worms that damage the intestines and are a cause of colic. But suddenly ivermectin came on the scene and blew that research out of the water because there's absolutely no need for diagnosis of worms after ivermectin came along because all you did was dose it and all the worms were gone. So that changed that uh, research path. A horse came into my sphere with pretty severe chronic laminitis was owned by a lady called Kathy Duckett and I really didn't know what to do with this founded foot. The x-ray certainly showed a significant sinking of the, of the coffin bone distal phalanx into that hoof. But a, a stable hand said uh, there's a guy in Texas uh, making a special shoe for horses like this. 
And uh, I said, oh, really? What sort of shoe? And he drew in the dust as to the shape of a hard pass shoe. And I said, who was this person? And he said, well, his name was Bernie Chapman. And I, I looked it up and he just presented a paper with a veterinarian. And that paper was the first time a farrier had ever addressed the American Association of Equine Practitioners. And it wasn't long before I'd written him a letter and got a reply. And I was in Lubbock, Texas with my friend Keith Swan and together we learned how to apply and uh, work with the heart shoe. We were doing dorsal hoof wall resections but my curiosity was sparked by the process and that's really where my research into laminitis commenced. And so you're, well, you're now retired as a professor at, at, at Queensland but you obviously stayed there uh, and, and your academic career blossomed there and, and down well, this line. You, you could say retired, but you could also say I've been promoted because I'm now emeritus professor, the okay. highest, highest uh, uh, level that any academic could uh, achieve at the university. Well, then I'll take that. Um, I, I certainly know as most retirees you seem busier today yeah. than, or, or uh, as busy today as you've ever been. Simon, here I pray tribute to all of the uh, postgraduates who've graduated with their PhDs and gone on to develop careers of their own. And some of those include me to this day in their publication list of names because I still contribute, I still um, give them, you know, we discuss things, we have, share ideas and sometimes I even collaborate in the work of the research. Some of the research is still done at our unique laminitis research unit at the University of Queensland. We have some American funding and even then we come to Australia, they, the American researchers come to University of Queensland, our facilities, and do the research there because we've got it so well set up and we have easy access to standard bred horses. Okay. And there's, there are very few centres, university centres in the world that are specifically, you know, from my point of view, looking at the equine foot or lower leg. Yeah. I mean, you can name them on one hand, can't you? Yeah. And that's usually a hand that's been in some sort of industrial accident. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, so obviously you built up this reputation there, but let me just take you back a little bit. You mentioned about your, how you uh, got into riding horses a little bit late. But I know that you uh, developed a passion for endurance mm. uh, riding. Mm. Uh, so how far did that take you? Uh, that advanced my understanding of the horse's foot and how they should be shod tremendously because in the early days I had to rely on others to shoe our endurance horses and that was always inconvenient. We, we did run three or four endurance horses at a time. My wife, Sandy, always rode with me and my daughter as well. So we were a team of three and we had four horses, we could change them around. And pretty soon it fell to me, because of the uh, problems of other people shoeing horses to uh, individual conformation, individual style of going, and uh, foot shape, foot size, foot conformation, even limb conformation. One of my horses had to have slightly toed out, had to have uh, a roll put on the toe on the inside of the centre 
for its tied out conformation. If you tried to make it go straight, it wouldn't be comfortable. And here's the thing, Simon, riding alongside Sandy, she would detect in her horse, and I, I, I would be the same, but she would say to me, how long is it since you shod Fennel riding a horse, a mare called Fennel? I said, oh, we worked it out. It might be uh, four, five weeks, perhaps. Yeah, she's not comfortable. She's not uh, striding out as well as she could. And she's forging occasionally. So next weekend, I will have shod that horse and she would be flying. So I learned that horses can tell you if you're riding how good your shoe fit is and how comfortable the horse, the, the, the shoe is for that horse's uh, way of going. Well, you know, I came from a racing background and one of the problems is you're not in direct contact with the person riding the horse. Mm. But I've found farriers that shoe for the rider and especially good riders, they can detect that and they sure. have a, I, look, this is not a chip on my shoulder, but they have a, they have a greater appreciation, those riders. Yeah. When, when they get a good farrier, they do not want to lose them for that. Yeah. They, they can uh, feel you know, And some farriers are very dismissive of what the rider is saying. They should not be. They should really listen to what the rider is saying. Oh, well, I'd, I'd agree with that entirely. Okay, let's... Um, so, so the study of laminitis has really been your life's work. Can you, can you highlight some of the Half my life's work. I started at about 45. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, from our point of view, from a farriery point of yeah, view, yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I actually go back long enough to remember that when you did connect up with Bernie Chapman and, and, and I, I'd made the assumption that your interest in laminitis had stretched back long before that. I didn't realise until no. this interview that that was right there at mm. the beginning. Mm. So, so can you tell us some of the highlights of, of that, that time in researching laminitis? Um, yeah, they're quite subtle things and a lot of it is serendipity. I just happened to be with the right sort of academic colleague who could give me the answers to the questions I was asking. So the key thing is questioning all of the time, asking questions. Ask the right question, you'll get the right answer, as, as a slogan of mine to postgraduate students. Think about what you want to know and write it down. Create an hypothesis and test it. So, perhaps the first uh, breakthrough was getting histological sections that I could look at through the microscope of laminitis. A guy, a colleague in Western Australia was developing Foundergard and he wanted to know when he gave Foundergard to a set of horses, were they any different from a set of horses that had laminitis induced uh, that didn't have Foundergard. So he sent all of these samples to me blinded, so I had no idea which was which. And I had no idea what I was looking at, but here were these uh, damaged lamellae. I knew what normal lamellae looked like but here were damaged the melee under the microscope. And I created a grading system of severity. And uh, that worked. And he went on to market Foundergard, and it's still on the market in Australia and New Zealand today, as a, an antibiotic that controls certain microflora in the hindgut and prevented the fermentation of the whatever it is that circulates to the feet causes laminitis. But in so doing, I had a histological section that I took to a pathologist, a professional pathologist, because I've never been a pathologist. 
And I said to him, Roger, Roger Kelly was his name. Uh, I said, what is all this material uh, beyond the epidermis? I could see which was epidermis and I could see which was dermis. But in between was this, these circles of uh, tissue. And I said, could this be basement membrane? And he, he said, well, it could be, but it looks just to me like vacuoles, a term that um, pathologists use. And I said, well, how can I establish whether it is the basement membrane or not? I knew that dermis connected to epidermis along a boundary called the basement membrane. And he said, well, yeah, you stain with this particular stain, the PAS stain. So I did that and in front of my very eyes was the mechanism of laminitis separation at the dermo-epidermal juncture. The basement membrane was miles away from its correct position attached to the epidermis. So for the first time, and this is my most cited scientific publication, 1996 basement membrane pathology of the horse in the equine veterinary journal. Mind you, it isn't, hasn't been cited as often as a subsequent paper that uh, I was only a co-author on, and that was the insulin induction in ponies yeah. by Katie Asplund and Kathy McGowan. So uh, I'm a co-author of that, but that paper, of all of our laminitis research papers, that's reached the highest uh, citation. The next one down from there is Melody Delart's insulin induction in standard breaths. So those three papers have been the... If I I can mention one, which is not a research paper, but it was in Equine Veterinary Journal, Equine Veterinary Education, Education, in 1998, and I tell every farrier if they only own one paper (laughs) on the hoof wall to get that and and look through it Hmm. and read through it and keep it. Uh, Because I think if uh, if you read that paper and all that, then... Well, I'm not saying you know sufficient, of course you never know sufficient, but as a basis for knowledge of the hoof wall for a farrier, it's not a research paper, but um, you know, it's a knowledge-based mm. paper. Yeah, and that was based on my uh, passion for understanding the correct anatomy of everything, microanatomy, gross anatomy, so that you can understand pathology. Anatomy is the basis of pathology. If you don't understand the correct normal function and structure you've got no hope of understanding pathology and being able to explain pathology so that's where those papers came from so that paper was a highlight suddenly having the revelation that uh, the basement membrane had separated away and the two tissue compartments and that explained the descent of the distal phalanx the next thing uh, was David Hood's announcement in the United States that arteria venous and astomoses. When I confronted him with what he'd stated, he said, well, I never said it was the cause of laminitis. I said it was associated. You know, we all know that associations are not evidence. It's okay. drilled into us. Associations are not proof. They're associations. And he said, well, I proved that AV shunting was occurring but the horses already had the laminitis that had been induced with uh, carbohydrate overload and he did the shunting experiment well into the chronic phase by about 48 hours so sure blood was shunting but he did never said that it had caused the laminitis 
But it set everybody off thinking that shunting of blood away from the uh, yeah. sensitive tissues, the, the, the lamellae themselves, could be producing a blood failure because of withdrawal of blood through the shunting that was the, at the heart of the laminitis lesion. And I pursued that. I asked uh, another scientist who announced David Hood's results in Australia at a, at a conference. I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, does anybody know whether these shunts really occur in the horses, in the lamellae? And where do they occur? And he said, nobody has any idea. So I went, as soon as I got home, I started to look at the sections of the foot under the microscope with greater curiosity, searching for what could be shunts. And I had no idea what to look for. But just across the road from me in the anatomy school of, uh, at the St. Lucia campus of the, of the university was a man who devoted his entire life, her entire academic life, studying arteriovenous anastomosis. So I knocked on his door and showed him this section and I said, can you see AV shunts in this tissue? He said, yeah, there, there, there and there. They were everywhere, but I, you know, I never recognised them. And he says, well, how can I uh, prove that? Well, you stain with this stain, and or I'll do it in my lab. And sure enough, here they were shining like beacons in between the lamellae as well as mainly in the dermis, sublamellar dermis. So I did a whole uh, sabbatical leave with him, six months. I was allowed because I had a, my family had just started. We had babies. I couldn't travel overseas. So I requested the university, the veterinary school, give me leave, sabbatical leave. You're supposed to go overseas from Australia to, you know, back to Europe, the home yeah. country, yeah. to bring knowledge back to these uh, colonial universities. That's why it was established. But they gave me special permission to do it within the, on my own campus. And that's where all those publications of the AV shunting came in. And, uh, and I was a proponent of, the, of this concept that shunting withdrew blood from the key structures. Okay. Well, the first lecture of yours I listened to, you had yeah. these beautiful micron... Yeah. 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 Oh, they certainly exist, and they're very important, but... But they're not the answer. They're certainly not involved in the key lesion of laminitis development. So the question is, Simon, what is the key lesion? How much time have we got? Well, do you know, I'm supposed to be speaking in four minutes, but we're going to wait until I get called back in here. Okay. And then what we're going to do, Then we'll, I know we only have 15 minutes from when I finish, so mm. you're not going to escape because we are going to finish this podcast. Sure. But um, I probably ought to take a break now and go into the... Yeah, and you're coming up to Brisbane anyway. I'm coming back here, yeah. yeah. Back, so but, maybe we should catch up there because I've really got to fly. Sorry. You said you've got to go at noon. No, I've got to be in Brisbane at noon. Okay, <laughs> all right. So we'll let you go and we are going to finish this podcast yeah. very soon. All yeah. right. Thank you very much, Chris. We'd like to thank Hoofcare Essentials Foundation and their partners for sponsoring this episode. You can find out more information at hoofcareessentials.com. You can follow more of Simon's work on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Simon Curtis. To get in contact, please email thehoofofthehorse at gmail.com. And for everything else, go to drsimoncurtis.com. Thanks for listening.